Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. A reading from 1 Peter chapter 3. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades. Kids, maybe. Kids, we have Elevate this morning. If you would like to go to Elevate this morning. Um, everybody else is going to be in here, and we'll rock and roll. And we have, uh, we have chairs here for some stuff at the end real quick. that we're, I'm going to go through this, and we're going to try to have just a brief time of question and response if, uh, if we have time for that, which I hope we do. Um, because of the topic that we're talking about. We finished up our one another practices that we did over the summer. And before we jump back into the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to do in September, we're going to take just the month of August, um, which is kind of crazy and hectic with everything starting, kind of life starts back up. The crazy hecticness of school, uh, of summer kind of begins to fade and the crazy hecticness of the fall starts to rise. And um, so we're going to take... Uh, August to go through our practices of mission. And here's what they are. One is gathering for public worship. This is actually a, a declaration of the goodness of God. When you vow and sleeping in, grabbing the paper, playing golf, the only time, the only people who are awake on Sunday mornings are people of faith, <laughs> for the most part. Um, so we gather every week. That, we're going we're to talk about that next week. And uh, actually, Ben Church, who we support as a church, who is a missionary in Uganda, uh, he is going to be here next week um, to talk about the gathering uh, for public worship. We're also going to talk about uh, looking at our work and faith, why what we do matters, uh, and how our work matters, and not just like leaving tracks on the, in the break room, but like how do we, how is our work a declaration of faith? Uh, and then the last week of August, we're going to talk about uh, ministries of mercy, compassion, and justice that we're called to do as the church. Today... We're going to talk about engaging in public faith. This also can be known as evangelism, but that term has weight for me. It's the proclamation, which I like, but we, I, it's, got, it's got cultural baggage for me. So it's a good word, 
and we want to redeem it, but I think engaging in public faith is a little bit better. But even there, my wife doesn't like that, so it's, how do we talk about Jesus to our friends? How do we talk about Jesus in everyday life? Uh, How do we bear witness to the resurrection in everyday life? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, We did a sermon series through 1 Peter, and I remember preaching on this passage and how helpful it was when we see it in, full, in its full context. If you grew up in the church, you may have heard like, you know, be ready to give a defense. Uh, and sometimes what, we, what that became kind of in my life is, is be ready to be defensive. <laughs> uh, and, but when you see it in its full context, I thought it was really, really helpful. And the way we did the sermon, the sermon series through First Peter, by the way, if you have questions, you can text this. And if we don't get to it today, we'll try uh, to engage these uh, maybe in a different format. Um, but you can text that number. That's why that number is up there. Uh, but we went through it. We went through the sermon series. And what we talked about was the death of Christendom. Uh, that is not to be confused with the death of Christianity. Christendom is Western context when it was when ethics and morals of, of the Bible and Christianity, for the most part, were considered the norm, right? We had rules uh, and we had laws that kind of assumed a Christian view of life and ethics and morals. Um, and when I, when I was looking back uh, at when we went through that sermon series, I was like, that was just a couple of years ago. Uh, it was three apps ago. Uh, for my sermon notes. Um, that, was back, that was back when I used Evernote. That's how long ago. No, it was, it was nine and a half years ago, April 2014, uh, that we went through this. And I want you to think, where were you nine and a half years ago? Think about your views, your thoughts, the way the world was, what you presumed, what you were trying to do, where was your faith? What were your views of the world and Jesus and all of those things nine and a half years ago? I, I think the world has changed a little bit in, in the last almost 10 years in, in some ways, right? Uh, and I would encourage all of us to withhold blame from like, is this good or bad or who's, who's at fault here? Uh, the world has changed quite a bit in the last 10 years. Um. So it was helpful for me to look back, not only at what has changed and the differences now, but also of what hasn't changed. And so how do we, as followers of Jesus, hold to and embrace and share with the gospel of what has not changed with a world that is is and has always been in constant change, but seems to be changing at a record pace? So I want to get into this, and and again, I hope we have some time for Q&R at the end. Engaging in public faith, I think the first thing here is to know what do we believe? As a follower of Jesus, what do we believe is central and is most important? What is up here? What does it mean to actually be a follower of Jesus? Verse 18, I'm going to start at the end in this passage. Verse 18, uh, 1 Peter 3 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Uh, We believe, followers of Jesus, we believe that we are sinful. That has connotations 
but we believe that we are sinful. We believe that we are unrighteous. Now, on the one hand, we, we have to admit and confess that. So we can't, we can't pretend like, no, 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 you're perfect. You're a shooting star, right? God is not the cosmic Paula Abdul. Uh, that's a dated reference right there. Um, that I just realized how dated that reference was, right? God's not like, no, you're the best, you're, the shooting, you're, you're a shooting star. No, we have to admit that we're perfect because if we are the best and we're the shooting star, every worldview, we, we have to have someone who's bad because if we're all shooting stars, then, then how do we explain the world? Someone has to be the bad guy. So, so if we're perfect, then we gotta, we gotta take it out on somebody, right? Um, however, this is also not meant for like, for, meant for like this self-abuse or toxic shame where Christianity somehow becomes about how bad you are. And your hope is me telling you how bad you are. Uh, we're, we're sinful. We're not perfect. We have put other and lesser things in the position of God and bowed down and worshiped them. And, and this is what separates us from God. And Jesus lived perfectly on our behalf, died in our place, so that we might be reconciled to God through his death and his resurrection, which means that we have to acknowledge that we're sinful, but more than that, in Christ, we're loved. And that's way better than being perfect. We're loved that much. So this is what it is to be a Christian. This is what it is to be a follower of Jesus. This is the A, B, C, uh, this is, sorry, this is the A through Z. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the completed, uh, completed work of Jesus, we turn from our own kingdoms, what we worship, we renounce our allegiance there and declare our allegiance to Jesus and follow him, still imperfectly in repentance and humility, but with hope, knowing that we are loved. And this, what is taking place in you here, this is the most critical piece. I was raised in a time where I think we were taught more of how to convince other people how to follow Jesus than we were taught to actually how to follow Jesus, right? So for me growing up, because I didn't want my friends to be killed in a car wreck and their blood be on my hands, uh, that was every movie about evangelism in the 80s, uh, you got to tell your friends about Jesus before they get drunk and die in a car accident. And like there were, there were youth conferences that blew up cars on stage because this is what Jesus was about. But for me, I would share Jesus to try to assuage the guilt I felt about not sharing Jesus. And it was like this thing of like, if you share Jesus enough, he'll actually love you. Uh, that's not what was explicitly taught, but that's kind of the undergirding thing, right? Um, and it took a long time for me to realize that the gospel is actually good news. That God loved and knew and embraced even me. I was actually loved and forgiven and not just part of a cosmic pyramid scheme. That was huge. So to confess our sin and to be forgiven because of what Christ has done on our behalf, this is substitutionary atonement. This is, this is 
This is the bedrock. Now, from there, we can ask lots of questions. How is it applied? What does it look like? When did we do? But that is the bedrock, the heartbeat of what it is to become a follower of Jesus. And I want to like, is this, is this clear? Are, I mean, are there, and I'm totally serious. If you have questions on this, you can text that number or, or raise your hand right now. We'll, we'll stop everything and talk about that. Okay, this, this is the bedrock of what it is to follow Jesus. Um, all right, so now sharing this in the public sphere. Talking about Jesus with friends, how do we do back? How do we do that? Let's go back to the first part here. Verse 13, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with what, class? Gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, when you're slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. All right. Peter is meditating here on Psalm 34. That's, what, that's what's right before this. Peter quotes from Psalm 34 about doing good. Followers of Jesus are to do good. We are to do good. Now, the tricky part, what is good? Right? Remember when, the, when, Jesus, when, the, when the guy calls Jesus the good ruler or the good, uh, the good teacher? And Jesus goes, what's good? How do you define that? So here's the thing. I preached on this nine and a half years ago. I'm willing to bet, culturally, we had a different view of who was good back then. Would you guys acknowledge that? And what was culturally good? And nine and a half years from now, we're going to have another view on what's culturally good. And who knows, maybe the people from 18 years ago now will be back to being culturally good in nine and a half years. Here's the thing, we are fickle people. We were reading a couple weeks ago in the reading plan, the end of Acts, if you remember this, where where Paul gets shipwrecked on Malta. And he's, he's shipwrecked and he's starting a fire and a snake comes out and bites him and people are like, he's a demon, he's a murderer, snake bit him. And then the snake falls off and nothing happens to Paul. And then they're like, He's a God. Let's worship him. You know, we're a, we're a fickle people. We hate you. Well, this is our new policy. All right. We love you. Maybe. Can we read the fine print? We're so fickle. The cultural good changes all the time. Followers of Jesus, I think we are called to see what is good in the cultural good. Because there's a part of that, that, that there's a part of every cultural good that, that has goodness in it because God designed the world. So there's a part that we can look at and say, this is good, but, and again, I, I was teaching at FCA camp this week and, and one of the things I referenced, Tim Keller, they didn't laugh, students didn't laugh. I thought it was hilarious. Tim Keller said that he realized that everything in this world can be abused when his young son took the Bible and hit his other son with it. Everything can be abused. 
but there's a way that we can look and say, what is good of the cultural good, and yet not put all of our worship on popular opinion? And what is, what is good culturally speaking? We don't you know, stick our finger in the air and go, okay, where, what's good right now? All right, I'm on this side. Well, no, 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 I'm on this side. We, we are called to actually speak truth to, to all sides. And, that, and that's where it gets hard. Um, but this is also, it, it's sticky because both discernment and sharing Jesus, the heart of man tends to take what is good and make it an object of worship. That's what we tend to do. We tend to make it our God. And we defend our gods fiercely. We defend our gods fiercely. Ironically, here's an, iron, here's an irony. The one true God doesn't ask us to defend him. He actually tells us to trust him to defend us. And we have a hard time doing it. He is the defender and the justifier. So followers of Jesus, we're to do good always. We're to care for the poor, demonstrate grace and understanding, show compassion, care for the sick, plea for justice, give to those in need, welcome the hurting and the broken. Uh, but we are also called to holiness. That is also good. That because we trust, trust Jesus, that we refrain or, or resist from simply indulging in the desires of the flesh. Money, sex, and power are usually the three things that the God of the Old Testament is, uh, not the God of the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God is constantly rebuking his people from bowing down and worshiping actual gods of money, sex, and power. So like, it's, it's all throughout scripture. These are a lot of the things that we are turning from. And to be holy means we're actually resisting, indulging in those desires of the flesh and what we do with our bodies matters. But the ultimate good for anyone, the ultimate good for anyone is not just their behavior. The ultimate good for anyone is to be reconciled to God. That is the ultimate good, what we talked about right at the beginning. To be forgiven and to be reconciled for God. It's not simply just to get out of poverty, though that's good, or gain equality. So we always practice good, giving generously, respecting persons, faithful fidelity with our bodies, justice, equity, but we practice these things because we've been reconciled to God, forgiven of our sins and of our selfish kingdoms. And regardless of if someone trusts Jesus or not, we're still called to do good. Jesus healed and fed and loved a bunch of people who would take the gift from him and go on about their merry way. We are still called to do good and trust the Holy Spirit, but our ultimate calling and want for other people is to be reconciled to God. Sharing with this with others is messy for a number of reasons. Um, for this culture, for Peter, where Peter's writing, they were turning away from Roman pagan gods uh, to this new God. Uh, in our culture, there's a lot of turning away from misunderstandings or manipulation of Jesus and Christianity itself. And that's hard. And here's, let me, let me just cover a couple, one, two things here real quick. Christianity has done, uh, there have been some terrible things done in the name of Christianity and the name of Jesus. Uh, we also need to be careful. We have a tendency to like carte blanche, like anybody that's walked away from the faith is now virtuous. 
that's just not true. Some people have just decided. Some people have been harmed. A lot of people have been harmed and, and still held to the faith. We need to be careful with our broad brush of who is virtuous. Does that make sense? Okay. So, here's where we're going to get practical. Um, Verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. All right, I have seven thoughts. And then we'll do just a few minutes of Q&A. Are you building up your cues for the the responses, Jeremy? Okay, all right. When we are witnessing to somebody, when we are vying for someone's ultimate good, I think these are important. First, to honor Christ as holy, here's what I think this, this is part of what this means, is remember first your story. How has, and how has Jesus been at work in you? How is he still working in you? In fact, this is your practice for the week, to write out your gospel story. How did you come to know Jesus? How is Jesus still at work in you? To be able to say these things and convey these things, to be able to see the work of of the gospel in you, that you are loved and not rejected, that you are known, that Jesus has risen from the grave, that your hope is assured. And yet, to remember, for anyone else in this world, whether it's a God of religion or a God of self, we are asking people, when we're sharing the gospel, we are asking people to give up their gods, and that's hard. It's still hard for me. So do it with gentleness and respect. Part two, point two, which is like that, to see your needs first. This hit home for me in 2014 uh, when Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson and there were riots, there were peaceful protests during the day just asking for justice. And, and, and the, the, the things were unknown and I don't wanna get into all of that, but the treatment of his body, the treatment of the community around there, uh, it was just not good. That would never happen in St. Charles. And so there were peaceful protests in the day and there was just chaos at night. And this is the thing that jumped out at me. Over and over again, I heard and saw from St. Charles folk this idea that those people need Jesus. Uh, And it was largely just, just the thought of protesting in general. The irony of that is all of my friends that were doing that were protestant Christians. Which I thought was a glorious unrealization there. For the follower of Jesus, the first words out of our mouths ought to flow from the deepest parts of our soul that says, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And when I'm dealing with that, as the primary lens, then I can see clearly to help with what do those people need. Three, bearing witness and engaging in public faith. I can't stress this enough. It's never, this was never designed to be a gimmick or a tactic, ever. Can God use gimmicks and tactics? Yes, he can and he does. 
We've had people at refuge, and God has frustrated me and, and humbled me in lots of ways. We've had people at refuge, and this may be you, I don't know, that got like saved at puppet shows, and one person even got saved at the power team where they were like ripping off handcuffs and things like that, and they, that's when they became a follower of Jesus. And I was like, that's great. <laughs> Listen, it's corny, but God can use anything, and that's, and that's me. I, some people have said I've had a, I have a touch of cynicism. Um, when I was growing up, uh, we had a, a lot of people, we had a lot of training in, in Jesus' pickup lines. Um, but again, we didn't have a whole lot about actually knowing Jesus. Um, and and I, we share what we love. When someone's like, ah, it's easy to talk about the Cardinals. It is, and I don't do that in the most redemptive of ways. Uh, but it is, and I, and, I, and I love the Cardinals. Nobody had to teach me a gimmick of how to talk about the Cardinals. So this is not meant to be a guilt trip. This is meant to be like explore the depths of the love of Christ for you and share out of that. The most powerful testimony is a life transformed, non-defensive, open and honest, wanting the ultimate good for people. And here's the deal, guilt and shame are effective but they're not good. They're effective, but they're not good. And the fruit they produce are not good. We don't love other people because it works. We love other people because we have been loved. Fourth, I don't know if we're gonna have time, Jeremy. I'm sorry. We're gonna, if you have like a good knockdown one. Here, learn about other people in their context. Ask questions. Um, in, in scripture, Bearing witness and actually sharing the gospel is rarely done with strangers. Paul walks into synagogues, but even there, the synagogues were designed for like debate. And Paul would walk into these synagogues. And sometimes Paul, but we're also not called to be Paul. Um, it's rarely done with strangers. More often than not, it's done with people that are known. Like 98% of the people in the New Testament that experience Jesus are called to live that out in their community. Even here in 1 Peter, where they may face persecution, Peter never tells them to withdraw from their community. He tells them to, to stay in there. And when people ask about why they're not participating in the Roman pagan festivals, be ready to talk about it. It takes time, it takes vulnerability. I don't think it takes being perfect. I think it does take having integrity and being honest and needing Jesus in front of other people. Parents, if you're a parent, I think this is especially with your kids. Not only telling your kids what you want them to believe, but also what you believe and that you need Jesus. Five, Jesus didn't always talk to people with gentleness and respect. Jesus was far more confrontational with certain people and it's the self-righteous. Jesus was more, he was welcoming of the hurting and the broken, but he was confrontational with the self-righteous, religious and irreligious self-righteous. Sixth, beware of pearls before swine. Um, it is always the Holy Spirit that changes the heart. But this statement, has anybody heard this statement, pearls before, don't cast your pearls before swine? How many of you think that that statement is used to derogatorily refer to somebody else as a pig, right? Don't cast your pearls before swine. Here's what that means. 
don't give somebody something they're not ready to digest. Be careful not to give something, somebody something they're not ready to digest. And then finally, love cult- covers a multitude of sins. Watch our motives. For me, I get defensive when I want to be right and when I want to be validated. When I love and care about the other person is when I get concerned. It's when, I, when my sharing Jesus flows from a, a want for them. And I'm going to tell you right now, I am not the best at this at all. You may be sitting in here going, I wonder, does this, does this t- church ever talk about sharing your faith? And, and that's probably a legit cri- critique. And there's a lot that goes into this. And I have a lot of, I have a lot of fear of the corn, corny stuff. Uh, I, I do have fears of rejection. And, um, and I love talking about Jesus, but I feel like I have to qualify a whole lot. Jesus doesn't need our defense. We need to live out the reality of, of testimonies of his grace and learn what we believe. All right, Jeremy, you want to you give it just, we'll just take a few minutes. You got a couple of good questions? Where you want you want to sit? Here, there you go. All right. However you want to do that. We'll just take a few minutes. These high chairs, ma'am. I feel like I just want to kick my feet like a little kid. <laughs> okay, so uh, the first one really is about um, the fear of hypocrisy. Hmm. Uh, like that being an obstacle to, the, the context of the question is, is almost like someone receiving a call to faithfulness or a call to follow Jesus while being encouraged to do so by somebody who's obviously got some chocolate on their face or something like that, right? Yep. Like, so talk, talk about that for a second. Yeah, so I think that's a great question. And here again, I think that goes back to what we are asking people to embrace. We're not embra- asking people to embrace a morally superior life. We are telling people, I need Jesus. When they're like, well, you're a sinner. I mean, Luther has some great stuff on this. I don't know how much of it I could actually quote, but like, you know, like, or, all right, there's a, there's a Simpsons episode where they're trying to get Homer to join a cult. And they're like, and they're, they're trying to like put him down. And they're like, you're overweight. And he's like, woo, you got me on that one. You know, and, 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 it's, and uh, there should be an element in Jesus where like the whole point is that we have chocolate on our face. So I think that's critical on what are we sharing? We're not asking people to come and be morally, come and be moral. Um, If somebody's like, you're a hypocrite, we should be like, dude, you don't even know the half of it. I'm far more hypocritical than you know. And you think that's bad, let me tell you this story. You know, like, I mean, our hope is that we we are loved. And so I, I get it, I get that fear. And that can be an easy out. Um, but the reality is we're not sharing. Our lives are not demonstrations of what it is to be morally perfect. I trusted Jesus, now I'm morally perfect. It is that we have hope even there. Yeah. So if somebody accuses you of hypocrisy, I mean, let devils and demons do their worst. I got more than you could possibly know. Yeah. Come join me. Be and, a forgiven hypocrite. And actually the posture of humility might actually... 
I mean, that, in my mind, that adds to the credibility of the claim of, like, it's, I'm not calling you to some level of righteousness that I'm, I'm somehow able to attain on my own. Yeah. Like, yes, absolutely, I have my, like, come, come with me to the one, to the well. Come with yeah. me to the one who can heal and make well. So yeah. that, like, that's, that could make all the difference. Yeah. And at the same time, we're also not just like, ah, you know what, Jesus loves everybody. We can just do whatever we want. Like, that's, sure. that cheapens love. That's indifference. It, and it, honestly, it could even be that without, without you know, because not everybody's going to walk up to somebody and be like, hey, walk in the way of righteousness, right? Like that's not necessarily <laughs> everybody's thing. And that's good. Um, but also it could be the posture, like the general posture of humility in the Christian heart and awareness of our own sin and our own failings could itself be a witness in some cases because that's not, that's not the drum that's beating right now yeah. in culture. It's... Be your truest, be your authentic self, whatever that looks like, and don't be afraid. And yeah. like, just want, get you know, get it all out there, and that's okay. And whatever that is, that's yeah. great. And and a, a posture of humility and awareness of our own failures and our own sin in our yeah. lives could be itself a witness, right? It's and and the reality is, you don't want to see my true self. I don't want to see <laughs> my true self. I've I've seen glimpses of it. Yeah. I I told this story once before, and this is this is the. So I can, there, are, there are people that I can get into debates with and that I can argue with. There are people that I know and love generally. Um, also, people that are like firm in other religions, like talking to, to, uh, talking to Muslim clerics. I, like it, this, we, it was perfectly acceptable for us to debate like the finer points of, of theology, uh, but not like to your average church member or really a culture that's generally indifferent. Um, so that's different. But I remember sitting down with one kid that was telling me that I was... Uh, judgmental he wanted to date a girl that was not a believer and he didn't like anything and I just he didn't like anything to do with church and she was being judgmental because she wouldn't date him and I was like dude I think that's wise if if he loved soccer and I said if she hated soccer would you be like ah that's fine let's still date he's like no I want her to love soccer and I'm like well isn't that judgmental and then he said I was being judgmental and I told him (laughs) and this is and this is where you don't want to see my true self Uh, but I did tell him the only reason I'm talking to you right now is because the love of Jesus compels me to. <laughs> left to myself, left to myself, I don't care. Um, but the love of Jesus compels me to actually care about you and want good for you. Yeah. And that could sound terrible. It probably did. Uh, but I mean, he... He, he started it. <laughs> and we all know that makes it okay. So, um, all right, so another question. How do you, I don't know, I was going to jump into an interim question, but the, another good one came in. What time is it? It's 11, 12. You guys, you guys got somewhere to be? Are you good? No? Okay, all right. Okay. okay. So, ask questions. Yeah, so, uh, so, Another question that kind of branches off of the humil- posture of humility and like our own. So I, I grew up in a mostly black community, mm. poor, poor black community. And so in public school, the, the day that I learned about um, our history of slavery in America, mm. chattel slavery of racism of the civil rights movement, I like I was one of two white kids in that class. And so <laughs> I, became, I became immediately aware as did everyone around me, by the way, that, um, that my people, my people, uh-huh. whatever my people were, uh-huh. my people, white people, had 
um, had committed all of this and that, and that now all of that fell on me mm. to, so like from that day on, everything I did, I mean, after, you know, mm. getting knocked around a little bit, the, the rest of my days in that school system were spent actively working against, and to some degree, the rest of my life has been spent actively working against the stereotypes and the assigning that over to the baggage and the I say the word prejudice is not negative, like what people view, like, oh, you're just the white savior coming in here and doing that stuff. Right. One, um, we're still called to share Jesus, so we, I think we still do that with humility and grace and hope while, while validating some of the dark history of, of Christianity. And yet, also, because we're, we're in a day and age where we're just dumping on, right? Christianity is like the pillar of all evil. And I'm like, well, you know that justice thing that you're crying about right now? That's from Christianity. You know that equity thing that we're talking about right now, about how everybody should be equitable? That stems from Christianity, not anywhere else, not other worldview. That didn't come from the Greeks. That didn't come, the Greeks gave us how white, uh, wealthy men could vote in a democracy. Yeah. Um, so knowing the history of Christianity, that's, that's a huge thing. But even there, we are also called to bear witness as the church, as the people of God. And so if somebody has a problem with me and I will validate that problem um, be because I am white, then I'll be like, would you talk to my friend Carlos? Hmm. Yeah. Because Carlos can say things to you that I can't say. And, and that's part of being the body of Christ. That's part of building friendships and relationships, good friendships in the body of Christ. And uh, my, my friend Carlos sitting around in a room full of rabbis, and they were all talking about like, the persecution of the Jews that Christian, I don't know if you guys know the history of Western, European, of Western Europe, Christians did not do so well with the Jews of Western, Western Europe, Christians did not do so well with the Jews in Western Europe and uh, with the Jewish people in Western Europe. And that's a, that is horrible. And so people are sharing these atrocities in the ways that they have uh, dealt with these, this group of rabbis and their like reaction toward Christianity. And then Carlos chimes in. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm black. I have some things that I could say too. And I was like. <laughs> and that was my call to shut up. Um, when, you look at the Old when you look at the Old Testament, there's times when God talks to his people with warning. When they have power, when they have cultural power, he talks to them with warnings. And then after they're taken into exile, after they're sent into exile, he talks to them with compassion. Uh, and um, I, being white, I feel like comes with the warnings. You have cultural power and privilege. You need to be careful of how that is spent. And we can debate that. I'm not saying that people don't have issues. We all have problems, we all struggle. Um, but there is a reality of being white that is a different struggle than there is a reality of being black. And it's just, that's just part of the world that we live in. Um, and uh, so I can have sympathy with that. And I'm not going to get caught up in that. I'm not going to get caught up in political talking points um, unless they're used for self-righteousness. And then you better believe I'm going to get caught up in political talking points. But but also like using the body of Christ. And, I can, and if, I, if Carlos is not next to me, then I'll be like, you know, my friend says, you know, yeah. and, um, and even there, just trying to be gentle and hear those out. Does that make sense? Does that need further? I think so. 
Even, yeah. even outside the context of racial relations, like the the general um, history of Christianity and what how how much cultural awareness there is yeah. to all of the sins and skeletons in the closet of Christianity. Yeah. So taking the posture again, taking that posture of humility, and not also not being afraid to to apologize to an individual and say something as simple as I'm so sorry for all the ways that Jesus has been misrepresented to you. Yeah. Um, but he's better than that. He's way better than that. Yeah. And and let me tell you about the Jesus that I'm, I know, like the the one that the, the Jesus I'm familiar with. Without all of that stuff, without all of that baggage, let's leave that aside. Leave that at the door for a second. Um, so that's, I think it's helpful. Uh, another question is how can we continue to um, reach out to our children about Jesus? How can we witness to our children when they've walked away from the faith? Hmm. Um, yeah. What does it, what does it look like to faithfully parent a child who's walked away from Christianity? Uh, I, I think, um, obviously, I, I say obviously, and it's not obvious, but continue to love them. I, and for all things, like this is one thing that, that Alice and I both struggle with is be careful of uh, be careful of, of threats. Like we, we will, th- you know, do your chores or else you're not, you know, you're going to lose everything. <laughs> you're sleeping outside tonight, you know, or whatever. Which we make those threats all the time, but we try to do it with gentleness and patience. Uh, but I think if, if a child has walked away from the faith, it, I think it is a... Um, Maybe there's, there's safe times to talk about faith. Um, and not everything is laced with a guilt trip of, uh, you know, I didn't get that job. Well, you know, maybe you would have gotten that job if, uh, you know, you still trusted Jesus. You know, like, those, like, don't be careful of those things. And, and this is, for parenting in general, I still think the biggest thing is to make aware how much you need Jesus more than... Or, or at least equal to how much you tell their, your kids that they need. You're saying to say Jesus. that out loud. Yeah. Let that be an external dialogue about how yeah. much you need Jesus as opposed to how much they need Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And, th- and this was from a therapist friend of mine that I thought was really helpful. It was a day after I lost it with one of my kids. And, uh, and he said, I think what's important, if you don't ever lose it with your kids, that's not a picture of reality. But when you lose it, or if you lose it with your kids, that you're able to come back in quickly and ask for forgiveness and say, my reaction was overdone. Um, so even if you've blown it, uh, I, had a, I had a pastor kid, uh, pastor's kid tell me one time, I said, as, as a pastor, how, what, what's the most effective thing I could do for my kids? And he just said, repent to them. Ask for their forgiveness. And um, I, think that's, I think that's huge. Continue to love your kids, um, and uh, and if there are areas and ways that you can ask for forgiveness and continue to live that out, because stories are long, redemption doesn't redemption often doesn't happen without times and seasons of, of darkness. So that is always our hope. Yeah. Whether that works or not, whether that happens or not, is beyond our control. But but here again, we're still called to love and do good. Yeah. Regardless, so and, and let me let me and that's free not you from easy. that. 
like a little bit, have, have a little bit of freedom in that knowing, it, it doesn't take long to figure this out, but you, you're gonna mess up your kid. I mean, it's just gonna happen, right? Like, you're not perfect, you're not Jesus, it's going to happen. And, and their faith, that, that new life given by the Spirit, that's not, that's not you. Um, it's never you. And, and like Trey just said, their story is a long story. And God's people are everywhere. So from, from witnessing to your child, all the way to witnessing to, you know, somebody on the street, somebody at work, coworker, friend, family member, be free in that evangelism and their faith, them coming to Jesus, is not on you. It's not up to you. You actually can't do it. Can I just say out loud? You can't do it. But what you can do is be one of God's faithful people who contribute a verse to that story, who yeah. contribute a line or a sentence. And in those moments of faithfulness where you can reassure somebody and you can share a word of encouragement and a word of faith and a word of understanding and compassion and you can reflect the love of God to them, all of those millions of moments add up in the life of somebody. Hmm. And, and one day the spirit does what only the spirit can do and takes all of that and all of those seeds that have been planted and gives it life and gives it nourishment. And it's not anything that we can do and praise God hmm. that it's not anything we, that we can do. But just like we see every week, it's something that you can contribute to. God calls us into the work, the messy work in all of our imperfect ways. Our, our pastor in Texas always used to say, you can't produce godly children. That's above your pay grade. And, and quite honestly, I think the more you try to produce godly children, the more actually you will, in, especially in our culture, will set the stage to turn their hearts away. What you can do is you can be a godly parent. Yeah. That's the distinction. And, and that wouldn't, you wouldn't say that to the exclusion of nurturing your children in the faith and discipling them that, in, in no, no, intentional no, no, no. ways. But. but like when you're like, you've ruined all the plans I've had for your life. Right, yeah. You know, um, yeah. that's where that comes out. Love and disciple and nurture your kids, but also make sure that they know you need Jesus and that you are not the Messiah and that you can't actually manufacture that in them. Yeah. It is still God's grace that goes from generation to generation. Yeah. So, okay, do we have time for one more? You guys good? Everybody? If you say no. Is there like one burning question that you're like... Yeah, I don't know if there's one burning question. There's, there is... Uh, Kind of back on the theme of humility, it's um, essentially the question is like that parts of parts of humility can work right now because it's kind of in vogue to be humble and to like own your stuff and also not be you know yeah. it's a it, it's a super weird dichotomy oh. in culture in yeah. that it's like be who you are and that's okay but also oh yeah, you know, I'm super vulnerable and super humble about this right now. And like, yeah. that's like, you know, that, that level of vulnerability uh -huh. and that level of humility culturally is also a virtue while also on the other end, not, not being apologetic at all for who you, it's, it's yeah. very, it's what a confusing situation. Yeah. But how do, how do we not, how do, how do we reflect humility, Christ-like humility and not seem like we're just being on trend with Yeah. So a couple, uh, and that's a good one. And it's maybe a good one to finish with. Um, so, uh, several years ago, I'm, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan, and several years ago, her first, her first TED Talk was on the power of vulnerability. And it's amazing. It's fantastic. And then it caught fire. And then everybody's vulnerable. 
Like everybody, like, you know what we need is vulnerability. I'm vulnerable. You're not. Uh, if you want to, and then there's a really, Andy Crouch is an author and he does a whole lot with power and how do we actually redeem power. Um, and he talks about calculated vulnerability. Calculated vulnerability, I think I could I mean, I say this here. Here's calculated vulnerability. Check again. Are you sure you can say this here? Do you want to look at All right. Well, no. Here's calculated vulnerability. Martha Stewart appearing naked on the front of a magazine. Is that vulnerable or is there a decent paycheck in that for her? Just in case we've forgotten about Martha Stewart, now we can't forget. You know, like, there's that. Uh, did you guys know that Martha Stewart appeared naked on the cover? This is news to me. I had no idea. All right. I'm don't, sorry to break don't that to Google you right it here. Right now. Um, it's. It gives an appearance of vulnerability, but it's really, it, it really is kind of a power play. It's a manipulated vulnerability with, I'm going to give you the gun, but I know you're not going to pull the trigger. And in fact, I'm going to benefit quite greatly from this. And it's already set up to where if you, if you say anything bad about me, I've already got lines in place that I can still make it even better about that. True vulnerability is to be able to say, when someone's like, you're a hypocrite, to be able to go, you're right. And I hate that. And I hate that. And or, and I'm gonna, I'm, and I'm gonna say this, and this is gonna be calculated vulnerability in front of you, uh, but, it, but it, when I have to say to my kids, one day you may be sitting in a therapist's office and they're gonna go tell me about your dad. And, and I have told my children that are old enough, when that happens, if you need me to repent of something, I'm, I'm already at work trying to prepare for that so that you don't have to sit there with unresolved junk about your dad because I know I did things, uh, especially when they were younger, like trying to control things and anger and all of that stuff. Um, and uh, calculated vulnerability knows there's, a, there's power to be gained from this. True vulnerability and true humility that comes from the Holy Spirit basically says, I'm not the Savior and I need the Savior. And there, you, can, you can bring every accusation against me and it's probably even worse than that. And that's why I need Jesus. Um, and there's no personal power to be gained by that. We've, uh, this, this may be a good illustration. If you ever grew up in church... Uh, <laughs> if you ever grew up in a church that had solos, do you guys, you know what I'm talking about? This, some or, people called it the special. Or choir specials. Yeah. Um, I, there, were two, there were two types of, so, I, you know, we, we, there was a, sometimes, you, like, okay. So all these memories come flooding back oh, and man. it's hard to sort through them. Yeah. Deep breath. There you go. All right. Take your time. There was, there was a friend of mine I went to college with, and he, he, did a, he did a Disciple Now, his band, and he played this song, Here I Am to Worship. And then after it, kids were clapping, and he goes, thank you very much. Like, 
And there were maybe 50 kids there, and he could have been on stage at Bush Stadium. Like, you know, it was like, and I'm like, I don't know if that's the appropriate response to that song. Um, there was another one. We had a guy that did a, a concert at our church in Texas. And after he sang, people applauded, and he said something to the effect of, I want to encourage you, you can go ahead and applaud, and I assure you the praise will go to whom it deserves. And his, his humble spirit was different than the guy that finishes the solo and goes, you know, let's give Jesus the praise here. Let's give Jesus the praise for my awesome voice. You know, like, uh, like there's, you're saying the words, but what you're doing looks a little different. Maybe soaking in and that extra loud applause for Jesus. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, yeah. like the, you know, I don't know, make much of Jesus quote Mark Driscoll. You know, like, and it's, you know, like, well, then why is your name on that shirt if it's make much of Jesus? And it's your quote. Anyway. Uh, or, or the billboards that are like, you know, we worship Jesus, and it's got a picture of the pastor on the billboard. Yeah. Here again, some people have said I might be cynical. Uh, I think humility is the play that says, I will go as low as I need to go. Jesus didn't save me from like the middle class of, of sin. Like my selfishness goes far, far lower than, than, you, than you may know. Yeah. That's good. All right. There's one more in-depth question about why you left the loving embrace of Evernote, but you can answer that later. Okay. It's no pressure. Nope, it's fine. All right. you, don't have to, you don't have to explain yourself. Evernote has made some it's improvements. It's true. <laughs> but a quick shout out to OneNote. OneNote's no? decent. All right. And it's free. You're just it's not included. using it right, Dave. No. All, right. <laughs> All right. All right. Sorry. That may be something I need to repent of. Where's the humility, man? Where's the humility? Don't ask me technical questions. That's your own fault. See, and then that's there's my, that part. That's my own fault. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Uh, and then, um, and then we'll, we'll commune together with this glorious news that Jesus gave his body and blood for us. Uh, but I want to tell you this. Your assignment this week, and really this is your assignment every week, to recall the depths of love that Jesus has for you. This is not rehearsing your shame. This is, this is recalling his grace. Do you understand the difference there? This is not like, let's look at how terrible I am. It is, let's look at how deep the love of Jesus actually goes here. And he loves me even here. That's glorious news. Um, write that down. That's one thing we do for members. If you, if, if you, when you go through membership stuff here, is we have you recall the work of Jesus in your life. And that is so, it is on your tongue when you talk to other people when you share the good news of Jesus, that you can actually share what he has done and being able to convey this is the good news of Jesus. And that comes with learning people's questions, their doubts, their fears, their questions of history, their questions of the tactics of the church. And we can take all that and we can learn and grow. And sometimes you can go, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like somebody's like, well, what do you do about the third century? Something, something, something. And I'm like, I don't know what I do about it. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up. And then I'll tell you, you know, and sometimes like, yeah, I, the, the people of God have a long track record of not doing this really great. 
Um, and yet I'm still convinced that Jesus rose from the grave. And that's gonna trip me up every time. So let's pray and then rehearse that and then talk about it and, and be able to talk about it in open ways. It's always gonna feel a little awkward. It doesn't have to be like a sales spiel, but it always may be a little awkward. But it, but it, it, and it may not, quote, work on the people you're sharing the gospel with, but I want to promise you that it will work on your own heart. And it will grow you in your faith and trust and love of Jesus that he could save me even here. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, uh, that you have loved us. Thank you that you're worth sharing. Um, and uh, we've learned a lot of bad tactics. We've learned Christianity as kind of a culture move and a power move and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm weary from that. And so I don't want to back away from sharing and teaching how do we, how do we talk about you how do we share the gospel because I'm weary about how that's been abused and how that's been used? I want to grow and learn and I want to be humbly courageous in being able to share the gospel and talk to others and explain the unbelievable thought that I have been loved and made new. And that's beyond comprehension. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.